You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit cac.org. Greetings. Uh, I'm Jim Finley. Welcome to Turning to the Mystics. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to our time here together, turning for guidance to the teachings of the Christian mystic, uh, the anonymous author of The Cloud of Unknowing. Uh, We've left off uh, in our session so far, exploring the, the author's guidelines for a way to practice contemplative prayer. Uh, and which, which is the basis for chapter three. And um, these, these guidelines are very simple in a way, the author says. To sit in this act, to be in this, to practice this contemplative prayer, lift your heart up to the Lord with a gentle stirring of love, desiring him for his own sake and not for his gifts. Center all your attention and desire on him. And let this be the sole concern of your mind and heart. Do all in your power to forget to forget everything else, keeping your thoughts and desires free from involvement with any of God's creatures or their affairs, whether in general or in particular. Well, we saw in order to understand these guidelines, we have to understand what the author of the cloud is helping us to understand the phase of living the Christian life in which this way to pray finds its meaning. And what is this phase of the Christian life? That we've gone beyond the common way in which our faith in Christ, our involvement in this following Christ, is based upon uh, the psychological uh, gifts that it gives us to the moral guidelines that it gives us, to belonging to a sense of community motivates us to serve the community and, and so forth, all good aspirations. And we also have found that this, this way, this phase of life, how it has evolved or become enriched in the special way in which God becomes personal to us, God becomes personally real to us in our heart, and that Christ becomes real to us in our heart, and that we sincerely seek to follow Christ in all things in devotional sincerity, to live the life of love that Christ calls us to live. And then we saw it was in the midst of this uh, special way, this devotional sincerity, live day by day. In the last paragraph of the foreword, where he speaks of from time to time, we're graced with blind stirrings of love. This, the spirit in the inmost center of our being stirring us to love. This stirring he speaks of, it's not where we experience God's stirring in reflective consciousness illumined by faith. That is, this is not the stirring of the special way in which we're, we're moved with devotional sincerity, with a sense of the, the consolation of God's presence, or the solace of God's presence, there is the gift of that, there is the grace of that, we're grateful for that. But the stirring of what she speaks is innermost. That is, it's the spirit of God stirring in the innermost hidden center of our own soul. 
that, we're, that we cannot see with our finite eyes, this hidden place where God's imminence within us is sustaining us breath by breath, breath by breath. And this stirring of the Spirit in God, not as God is in us, in our ideas of God and the gifts of God, but it's a stirring of how God is in God, intimately stirring in the depths of ourself. Another way to say it, there are moments where we're kind of quietly amazed to find ourselves unexplainably in the presence of God, uh, the, the unexpected nearness of God, and how we, we, it can overtake us unexpectedly, sometimes very intensely, often very subtle. But it's a kind of a homecoming, and we rest in this communal presence of God, all about us and within us, as St. Augustine says, closer to us than we are to ourselves. The next phase of this understanding, or this next way of moving into this worldview, helping us to understand ourselves, this kind of classical, contemplative Christian way to, to understand these things, is that in, Scripture tells us that in God we live and move and have our being, that we're living our lives in the vast interiority of God, that when we die, when the moment of our death finally comes, and we pass through the veil of death, we don't go anywhere. We, we don't go somewhere else. For all the angels are here. All the saints are here. All the souls of the faithful departed, all the dead, are, they're all here with us, all together. We're all living our life in the vast interiority of God. The difference is that those, in passing through the veil of death, those that are living in God, are living in glory. They're living in the full light of God as God. That is, that the life of the blessed is a life of, of knowing God with God's knowledge of God, which is Christ, loving God with God's love of God, which is the Holy Spirit. It's being as much God as God is God in our eternal nothingness without God. It's, it's a divinization in the order of grace and love that is our, our, our eternal destiny. So here, oh, they're, all, they're all about us and within us, but we're here uh, experiencing God's presence as in a mere darkly. We're here experiencing through the veils of our finite ideas illumined by God's revelations to us that we read in Scripture and in the traditions. So there's this, we, we know God is, uh, and reflect on God as love, that God is mercy, that God gives us our life, that God guides us and sustains us. And so under these ideas, illumined by faith, in which we know the truth of these ideas, this obscure certainty in our heart, we, we, we follow this way of God. But what happens in the stirring is a momentary quickening, a momentary taste of knowing God as God and not as God is known to us in the gifts of God. It's a, it's a fleeting glimpse of paradise, of our eternal destiny, not with the full-blown glory of the blessed, for the stirring, the celestial stirring, is, is hidden, subtle, delicate, innermost. But the aura of it causes the interiority of our soul to glow with it. 
with a quiet sense of amazement, a sense of, uh, of having tasted God or being drawn into God by God and experiencing it as a kind of a quiet homecoming. So when the moment passes, it, it, it energizes the special way of life. It, 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 it kind of gives it a greater luminosity. Our devotional sincerity becomes all the more substantive to us by these flashes or these tastes to us. Now, what the cloud of unknowing is saying, and he's to his, this directee that he's talking to, that he discerns in this person, and by implication, he's also clearly writing to us. See, insofar as we listen to the author, and we, we, can, we can sense that we've experienced or are experiencing what he's talking about, it has or is happening to us, and it's this, is that we're going along living our day-by-day -day life of faith, and what we find is these fleeting tastes of this unitive state in us, of God in us as God and not in us, God not in us as gifts and our ideas of God or consolations of God. We begin to discover a certain quiet longing to abide in that fleeting taste. That, that's the thing. And not only is it a longing, but he says you live now at this innermost center, it somehow becomes a kind of quietly serious to you, like it matters in some way you can't explain. This is not something out of curiosity or something in passing. And, and, but it's so subtle, and um, the, the world, the pressures of the day, it can kind of easily get lost, and there it is again, like I, this, the flame that flickers in the wind, this, this desire. And here's where this image that comes, that helps me to see this, uh, is like in this image is someone out alone in the desert dying of thirst, writing the word water with her finger in the sand over and over and over. That they're really onto a great idea. But when you're dying of thirst, there's just nothing like a drink of water. So the blind stirring of love is the drink of water. It is, it's God as God. And all the thoughts of God, all these true ideas of God, these revealed ideas of God, are finite ideas of the infinite mystery of God. And compared, compared to that drink of water, they're like words in the sand. That you, you, you've been given a taste of a oneness beyond what thought can comprehend and beyond what words can say. These are words that bear witness to the unitive mystery beyond what words can say. We're searching here for a language that allows us to speak of such things. And this language is meaningful to us insofar as we can tell we're trying to put words to what we've experienced. Maybe very subtle, maybe delicate, obscure, but it, we realize we're no complete stranger to this realizes this is somehow about us and where we are with respect to it. And so he's saying then that this, this desire then is, this is what the single, remember the first three phases, the common, the special, and the singular way, they begin and end here on this earth. But the thing about the singular way, which is this way of this longing in your heart, the way of the singular way, is that it opens out upon the perfect way. 
which begins here but continues through all of eternity. That is, even though you not, have not yet died, even though you've not yet crossed through the veil uh, of death from time into eternity, but there's been a boundary crossing. And God, as God is in God in paradise, has crossed over and given you a taste of God as God in you, as God in this oneness. And then it calls you then, it, it calls you uh, then to, to draw, to give yourself to this. And the thing is, is that we cannot make these moments, these fleeting moments last. They pass away as mysteriously as they arise. It doesn't lie in our power to conjure them up. They're granted. But we can choose, and this is where the practice comes in now, but we can do is choose in our intention to assume an inner stance that offers the least resistance to be overtaken by this oneness with God as God that has overtaken us so fleetingly in these quickenings. And in the constancy in the practice then, to it becomes habituated and ever more habitual uh, obscure, intimate, living way in our life, contemplative character transformation. And so what is this unknowing then? Well, how the, what does this word unknowing mean in the light of the Unknowing doesn't mean not knowing. That's clear. But it also unknowing doesn't mean knowing as we're accustomed to knowing conceptually. In ego consciousness, we know through our ideas of God, or use of everything, anything. That this unknowing is a word, it's transconceptual. It's a way of knowing beyond the conceptual knowledge of knowing. And really another way to say it that comes closer is it's really the knowledge born of love is unknowing. And so this example again where marital love is intimacy is a sacrament of this that if you're so blessed to be in this intimate, ongoing sense of in this relationship with the beloved, there are many things that you come to know about the beloved and understand about the beloved, the beloved's qualities or the beloved's character or the beloved's all that. And those are the things you could describe to somebody who would, would try to understand who the beloved is. But who you know the beloved to be in your love for the beloved, the knowledge that's born of this love is not a love that's reducible to any thought about the beloved. It's not reducible into any words about the beloved. But it is invited and expressed in the words of the beloved, I love you. The self-donating love and the knowledge born of that love in this, in this communion. And we said in a previous session, we also see uh, analogous phrases of this in art, where you can go to the art museum and quietly go from piece to piece. And maybe you've studied art, and maybe you have a sense of aesthetics, and there's observations about it, and, and, and so on. But when you give yourself over to a piece of art, where you contemplate the work of art, 
a kind of sustained attentiveness infused with love. There is a knowledge of the beauty of the world, born of that which is transconceptual, it's not reducible to thoughts and definitions of art, so too with poetry and, and so on. And so then, this way of prayer, we see this way of prayer, then it's the gate of heaven. It's the gate of heaven because it's the gate in which we freely choose to assume the stance that offers the least resistance to being overtaken by this oneness of God as God. So that in, in the fidelity or in the constancy of the, of the practice, that oneness may become ever more habitually established in us as an underlying habitual sensitivity to, to this. This drink of water uh, beyond all thoughts and words. It becomes uh, uh, like uh, unexplainably clear. You know, the saying that it's, it, it must be um, uh, ineffably expressed and incomprehensibly understood. Uh, the mystics, I can't remember. Uh, Nicholas of Cusa, his book here right behind me, I drew a blank. And, uh, you know, it's like an inner clarity in your heart, so subtle and delicate. In your fidelity to the practice, it stabilizes itself in you in ever more habitually all-pervasive ways. And then we've seen then that... Um, this is where we see this celestial thing that when someone, when we love God for God's sake, that the blessed that are all about us and within us, the author of the cloud says, they turn and look at you because you've discovered the secret of heaven. And this thing about being helped by the angels and the saints and the souls, all this poetic beauty. But here's the thing about it. The author of the cloud of unknowing says that, um, as wonderful as this is, at the same time, it is, he says, we need to diligently persevere on the, on the grace of this when we sit in our practice. And so diligently, this is chapter three, so diligently persevere until you feel joy in it. For in the beginning, it is usual to feel nothing but a kind of darkness about your mind, and as it were, a cloud of unknowing. You will seem to know nothing and to feel nothing except a naked intent toward God in the depths of your being. Try as you might, this darkness and this cloud will remain between you and your God. You will feel frustrated, for your mind will be unable to grasp him, and your heart will not relish the delight of his love. But learn to be at home in this darkness. Return to it as often as you can, letting your spirit cry out to him whom you love. For if in this life you hope to feel and see God as he is in himself, it must be within this darkness and this cloud. But if you strive to fix your love on him, forgetting all else, which is the work of contemplation, I'm urged to, I've urged you to begin. I'm confident that God in his goodness will bring you to a deep experience of himself. So I think what we need to understand closer is what is this cloud of unknowing? Like, what is this darkness? How is something so uh, luminous, so dark? And to get at this, I think this is where, uh, now I'm going to go to chapter 7, where he introduces the word, 
and the word is is uh, you, you use the word to anchor yourself in this very ever so subtle stance. Choose a word that's meaningful to you. It might be a phrase. So I'm going to use the word Jesus as the word. So when you're sitting in your meditation, of course, uh, these thoughts arise. That your, your, your reflective self doesn't politely step aside so you can become mystical. These thoughts keep rising and falling in your mind like this. And... Um, um, we're, we're sitting in this intention in the rise and fall of these thoughts about God that in the longing of our heart we're transcending. So take your, this desire to transcend thought in the midst of thought. End of chapter 7. If you want to gather all your desire into one simple word that the mind can easily retain, choose a short word rather than a long one, a one-syllable word such as God or love is best. But choose one that is meaningful to you. Then fix it in your mind so that it will remain there come what may. This word will be your defense in conflict and in peace. Use it to beat up on the cloud of darkness above you and to subdue all distractions, consigning them to the cloud of forgetting beneath you. Should some thought go on annoying you, demanding to know what you are doing, answer with this one word alone. If your mind begins to intellectualize over the meaning and connotations of this little word, remind yourself that its value lies in its simplicity. Do this, and I assure you, these thoughts will vanish. Why? Because you refuse to develop them with arguing. This is... I want, to, I want to reflect on this, on the practicality of, of the, committing ourselves to this practice, the challenge of it and the gift of it. So let's say you're, you're, you're sitting in this prayer, lifting up your heart with this desire for God, for God's sake alone. And while you're sitting there, this is the imagery that helps me with this. A biblical thought walks into the room. It says something to you biblical. Like, is, is this Biblical? might quote something to you, Romans 8, 3, or 1 Corinthians, whatever. <laughs> By the way, all the scripture is about this contemplatively understood. But the idea is the scripture. So the cloud of unknowing is saying, do not get into discussion with biblical thoughts. You'll become biblical. This is who biblical people are. They're people who listen to biblical thoughts. Instead, turn to the biblical thought. And say to it, Jesus, gee, whatever your word is, I'll say Jesus, 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 Jesus. And the you that has biblical thoughts, you that is biblical thoughts, dies in the emptiness in which you wait for God. Next, you're sitting there a little bit longer. And uh, a Catholic thought enters the room. I'm saying it because I'm Catholic, but in Methodist, Luther, whatever whatever tradition you're in. And it says something Catholic. Is this, is this true to the teachings of the church? Is this like, what? Do not get into a discussion with Catholic thoughts. Turn to the Catholic thought and say, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And you that has Catholic thoughts, this is who Catholics are. They're people who listen to Catholic thoughts. And this you that listens to Catholic thoughts, that has Catholic thoughts, you that is Catholic thoughts, Jesus, 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 dies in the emptiness in which you wait for God.
you sit a little bit longer and you might have a mystical thought. All things are one, some mystical thought. Do not get into a discussion with a mystical thought. You become these people that think mystical thoughts. Instead of the realization that transcends all thoughts, including all mystical thoughts, and say to the mystical thought, Jesus, 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 and the you that has mystical thoughts, the you that is mystical thought, dies in the emptiness in which you wait for God. Uh, I was once, years ago, giving this talk in an Episcopal monastery in Santa Barbara. There were all these Episcopalians were there, different folks too. So uh, then I said, uh, imagine a naughty thought comes into the room and says something naughty. Uh, do not get into discussion with a naughty thought. You become naughty. Say to the naughty thought, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And you that has naughty thoughts, you that is naughty thoughts, dies in the emptiness in which you ate for God. And then I asked them, do Episcopalians have naughty thoughts? And the prior of the monastery raised his hand. He said, we do, but we always have them with dignity. And, and so this is the passing away. This is the passing away of the whole world of, th of thoughts about God as the foundations for the knowledge of God, that we might move beyond the horizons of thoughts about God into this loving, this love knowledge of God. I know that in this passage into this love, nothing happens to any of these things. That's the point. Nothing happens to, be, to, to our sense of scripture, our religious tradition, or our, 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 our moral intentions, all of that. It's just that all those thoughts, internalized thoughts of God, cease to be the basis as we move beyond the contours and confines of thought into this love that infinitely transcends thought, because no idea of God is God. Every idea of God is infinitely less than God. And we're passing beyond all ideas of God to enter into God as God, infinitely beyond all ideas of God, being divinized forever. Not in the full light of glory that is to come, but in this obscure, but very deep and interior way. And this is where then, it's dark to us because this thinking, see, there is that in us that gets this, that in us that's quickened by this. We're drawn to this. This is why we're sitting like this, if you're drawn to it. So there's that in you that desires it, but there's that in you that doesn't see it yet because there's that in you that's still accustomed to the familiarity of thought. And so, as the thoughts rise and fall, here's another image I have of this. You sit there, and thought arises. You watch the thought arising. You're not trying to stop thoughts from arising. But likewise, you're, you're trying to be careful not to think about the thought that's arising. Because if you think about the thought that's arising, thought will carry you off again. You'll be sitting there thinking. So what you're to do instead is you see the thought arising and just become aware that, the, that a thought is arising. Observe, be aware as it arises, how it lingers, and as it lingers, how it passes away. Become aware of the next thought arising, the next thought lingering as it passes away, and so on. Now the awareness of thought is not thought. 
See, if there was only thought, there'd be no awareness of thought. So the awareness of thought is this contemplative stance, this kind of luminous attentiveness infused with love that observes thought in a loving knowledge that transcends the thoughts that arise in this way. And that in us is used to thinking, and no wonder we're used to thinking. It doesn't find this easy. It doesn't find it easy. It takes, it takes great patience to pass beyond the frontiers of thought in this persistent, gentle, and graced way. And uh, that's the darkness. It's dark to the thinking self that is no longer um, uh, created a space so it can carry out this place where it thinks what it thinks. Because it's given over to this intention of this love, of moving beyond thought into this love. And that's the intimacy of the of this transformative process. It's like dying of love at the hands of love until nothing left of us is love, born in the, in the gnosis or the wisdom of love alone. A final thought, a final thought, is that this passing beyond thought, doesn't at all mean disrespecting thought or leaving thought behind, quite the opposite. Because notice when, you, when I read these passages of the author of the cloud, all these mystics, notice how clearly he thinks. He has a very clear mind. So actually, liberating ourselves from ideological thinking actually frees up thinking with a greater luminous clarity to, to think, which is wisdom. And also notice that, that to, to pass beyond the veil of this world doesn't at all mean that we seek to fly off into, into God and leave this earthly life behind. Because notice how committed the author of the cloud is to trying to help us. All these mystics are that way. Because they know by experience how hard this is. But they also know the grace that's given to us in our patient fidelity to it that the, the very commitment in which the authors, these mystics speak to us, is the commitment of a love. And so this way of love doesn't remove us from the world, it radicalizes our presence in the world by deepening this love in the context in which we find ourselves. Father, mother, sister, brother, students in the classroom, passerby on the street, I mean, whatever, whatever the situation is, it, it circles back around and radicalizes us in this way of being present uh, in the world. And so um, we'll end uh, here then with the meditation. I invite you to sit straight and fold your hands and bow. Be still and know I am God. Be still and know I am. Be still and know, be still, be.
our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen. Mary, Mother of Contemplatives, pray for us. The author of The Cloud of Unknowing, pray for us. Juliana Norwich, pray for us. Blessings. Till next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Turning to the Mystics, a podcast created by the Center for Action and Contemplation. We're planning to do episodes that answer your questions. So if you have a question, please email us at podcasts at cac.org or send us a voicemail at cac.org forward slash voicemails. All of this information can be found in the show notes. We'll see you again soon. Do you feel called to walk a more contemplative path? The Center for Action and Contemplation is an educational nonprofit supporting the journey of inner transformation. Our programs and resources will help grow your consciousness, deepen your prayer practice, and strengthen your compassionate engagement with the world. Learn more about our resources, such as publications, podcasts, email series, and events at www.cac.org.